This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. Was Moses really found as a baby in a basket in the Nile? Is there any evidence of Moses, his parents, and his adoptive mother, the Pharaoh's daughter? Mary Nell Wyatt Lee pieces together the story etched on the walls of Egyptian tombs that confirms the history of the Bible. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live! Shabbat Shalom Torah fans, you are about to see more evidence of Moses than you ever thought existed. Permanently etched on the walls of Egyptian buildings for thousands of years, it's amazing. Mary Nell Wyatt Lee joins us for episode two of Moses and the Pharaoh tonight on Shabbat Night Live. And if that uh, sounds familiar, that's because it's also the name of our calendar, which we'll get into in just a second. But uh, speaking of writing on walls, it used to be that you could post what you wanted on a Facebook wall, but it seems that those days are gone like ancient Egypt. So uh, what are the alternatives? Where can we speak without having someone fact check us on our opinions? Well, let's get the answer from my co-host, the social media director of A Root Awakening International, Chris Clark. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Scott. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. You know, we've talked about this in a couple of episodes past where uh, we've we've had these alternatives for people because they're getting censored on YouTube, they're getting censored on YouTube, you know, Facebook, and nobody can say what they want anymore because if it doesn't line up with these these companies' agenda, uh, it's out, and so it's not really a place for public. Uh, public speech, or, or pardon me, for um, uh, just for good conversation even. <laughs> right. Because we're just getting shut down. So we have these other alternatives which people can find at rudeawakening.tv slash social media. Now, the reason why we did this, no, okay, so censorship was number one. Number two is we have this thing called the V-fellowships, and these are fellowships that sort of adhere to Michael's calendar and teachings and that kind of thing. And we all kind of, uh, you know, share the wealth of Michael's uh, teachings there and bring it to other folks through home groups, and that's what V-fellowships are. Right. But not everybody is in those fellowships, are they? Right. Yeah, there's a lot of new people we, we see on YouTube every weekend. There's new people who show up to watch Shabbat Night Live, and Michael used to have um, a weekend broadcast, which would go from Friday night till Monday morning. And now Michael has the app, which runs 24-7. So we don't, those people don't have that little community, if you, right. you will, for that chat room, the YouTube chat to talk on weekends. So they're looking for fellowship. Okay, so that's places. what we've provided here, right? So we've, we've, we had, uh, first it was called chat roll or something like that, right? right. And now we have, um, there was, the, the chill chat you mentioned, right? right. This is the slow, we mentioned this last week about the slower uh, pace of, of the chat versus right. YouTube, which just goes by so fast and you can barely catch up with the conversation. By the time you make a, com a comment, it's right. <laughs> five minutes past. But, yeah. uh, so we have this thing called uh, Discord, right? So this is the sort of community without being in an AV fellowship community, or I guess it could be in both, right? Right, yeah, you, okay. could, you could have an AV fellowship at home and. Uh, Discord, you know, a lot of people don't like the name Discord. Right. But it's, it's the name of their platform. There's nothing I can do about that. <laughs> okay. So what, what is, what are But Discord yeah, allows us it? to create our own server. We can have, they let you have rooms within your okay. community. So uh, we've got different rooms in there for, for people to talk about different subjects. Oh, really? For example, like what have we got in there right now? We've got, well, the latest one I just, uh, um, I added the kitchen. Someone the wanted kitchen. a place to share clean food recipes. Oh, so I like that. That's we've cool. We've got the kitchen. <laughs> um, I might have to chime in on that one. That was yeah. the <laughs> So we've we've got other other rooms. They call them um, something. They don't call them rooms, but uh, channels. They call oh, them okay. channels All in right. Discord. Very but good. basically, on the left column, you you'll see a list of channels where you can find different subjects and information. And okay. there's also an opportunity in in Discord for in our Discord server for video chat. So oh. people can go into the the video room and have video chat with other people. They could do a Shabbat chat to have a Shabbat study. Oh wow! With people from wherever they are. So it's like, it, it, would this be sort of like someone 
I guess, doing a Zoom call, setting up a Zoom call with other people to have a Bible study. You can do that within Discord. Exactly. Wow, okay, very good. Yeah, you can, we can also stream videos inside Discord and then people can chat about the video. The video will do a pop out, like okay. a picture in picture. And then uh, the people can chat about what they're watching on the video. Similar to what it was with the YouTube live stream on weekends. People mm. like that live stream with the video playing and they just chat. Okay. Fellowship during that time. Well, I think we're going to have to have you back and do like a tutorial on how to do this. It all sounds very interesting, but I'm thinking, wow, I'm not sure I know how to do that. But uh, but I'm sure you could show people how to do that, right? Oh yeah, you could. I mean, the sign up process is easy. You you click the link that uh, is on our so Michael's social media page mm -hmm. on the website. It asks you for a user, which username would you want? So you type your username, you click. Then it asks you for your birthday to make sure you're over 18. Right. Okay. For their contractual agreements or whatever, and then you type your Email address, password, and you're in. Okay. And then you see all the other people that are hanging out in there. Oh, very good. All right, and that's all at the Michael Rood uh, social media page. You can sign up there. Uh, and Discord is mentioned there on, as one of the platforms. Is exactly, right? okay, very at, good. The, at the bottom of the page. Okay, good, all right, good stuff. So we'll, uh, we'll come back to you in just a second, but first, a little snippet of what we're gonna see tonight, episode two, Moses and the Egyptian. Here is what you will see. Moses' Egyptian name um, was Sinemut. Sinemut, okay. Sinemut. And Sinemut means literally mother's brother. And the Bible talks about how um, Moses refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter. And yet at the same time, he was in line for the throne. We know that. And he, when it comes to the part where he killed an Egyptian who was mistreating a Hebrew, why would he be worried about that as the son of the Pharaoh? You know, we see uh, royalty and rich people and all, they think they can do anything they want. Why would he be afraid of the Pharaoh? And I think that the Pharaoh had been weaning him and, you know, trying to get him to be, um, fit for the throne. To prepare him, sort of a yes. prep school type of thing. Yes. yes, okay. And so at the same time, perhaps the Pharaoh was worried about his, where did his loyalties lie? Okay, If all he, right. the Pharaoh's gonna die one day and he, all he has, the only, you know, prospect he has for the throne is Moses, Sinamut, and he's got to be sure and so when Moses kills an Egyptian protecting an Israelite, mm. I think that gave it great impetus and he knew he had to flee. All right, so there we go. A little bit of a, a taste of what we're gonna see tonight on the episode. And uh, currently we are on the third Shabbat of the fourth month on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar, as you can see on your screen there. And guess what? This is the anniversary this day in history of when Yeshua delivered the Sermon on the Mount. Well, it was this week in history anyway, event number 62 in the Chronological Gospels Bible. If you don't have that Bible, I strongly suggest you get it. You can see what Yeshua did week by week, sometimes day by day, exact days were able to correlate, correlate exactly what he did and where he did it. Uh, it's an amazing resource to have so that you understand why Yeshua did things he did and when he did it makes all the difference. It's an amazing thing. Also remember, there's only five days left for our love gift. It's called the Sign of the Son of Man. It's with Joel Richardson. Uh, you're gonna get a wonderful teaching there, plus a hand-painted ceramic kiddush cup and a work of art featuring Pray for the Peace of Jerusalem, which is certainly needed this day and age. So you will get that. Again, it's only five days left for that, uh, that particular love gift. And again, Chris, I wanna thank you for joining us today and bringing us up to date on what is happening with the social media page uh, with Michael Rood. So certainly appreciate it. And we thank you for uh, spearheading all of that, by the way. That's my pleasure. All right, so Mary Nell Wyatt Lee pieces together the story etched on the walls of Egyptian tombs, and that confirms the history of the Bible. It's Moses and the Egyptian. Episode two of our four-part series, uh, Moses and the Pharaoh, here tonight on Shabbat Night Live. So stay tuned for that. And the Kiddush with Michael is coming up next. Stay with us. New Testament believers look forward to the second coming, while Jews look forward to their first Messiah. With such different expectations, will both groups recognize him when he comes? They know without a question that this is not only 
the Messiah that the Christians and the Messianic Jews have been talking about, but they also recognize that it is Yehovah God Almighty, their God. In The Sign of the Son of Man, Joel Richardson guides you through the Bible to weave a tapestry of clues that point to Yeshua as both the man resurrected and Yehovah who descends in a cloud. But the only way to watch it is to receive it as our gift. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you The Sign of the Son of Man with Joel Richardson on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you the sign of the Son of Man, plus a hand-painted ceramic kiddush cup with creator of the fruit of the vine in Hebrew. Or as a special offer for a donation of $300, we'll send you the sign of the Son of Man, the hand-painted ceramic kiddush cup, and a beautiful work of art with the Hebrew phrase, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. These are special gifts from Michael Rood, to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Remember, this offer ends June 30th and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts. 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. On the morning that the Passover lambs were selected, there were two loaves that were put on the wall of the temple. When the first one was removed, after that, no more leavened bread was eaten. When the second loaf was removed, then all of the leavened bread in the land of Israel was then burned because the Feast of Unleavened Bread was going to commence at sunset that evening. The night before, Yeshua took artos. He took leavened bread and he blessed the Most High in the presence of his disciples and he interpreted the Kadosh Mikra, the holy rehearsal that Melchizedek put in place with Abraham. Yeshua said the prayer of the Melech Zadik. Baruch Atah Yehovah Eloheinu Melech HaAlam Hamotzi Lechemim Haaretz. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he said, this represents my body, which is now broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Then Yeshua took the cup, and he said, Baruch Atah, Yehovah, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Borei Pri Hagafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, the king of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And then he said, you take my cup, divide it among yourselves. I will not drink a sip of the fruit of the vine till I drink it with you in my father's kingdom. So as often as we do this now, we rehearse not only his death, but we rehearse that we will be at the marriage supper of the lamb and at the marriage supper of the lamb, he will take his cup and say, Lahaim to life everlasting. And until then, Shabbat Shalom. Ron Wyatt was certainly an enigma. He discovered all kinds of things. Some people even dispute that he could have found all of these things because how could one man find all of these things that are mentioned in the Bible? Well, the answer is that he wasn't working by himself. He was working with the Messiah. He was working with Yehovah. And he had discovered so many things and there was so much information that the woman who was his wife at the time promised him that she would write a book about it one day. And that book is now out. It's called Battle for the Firstborn. Please welcome back to Shabbat Night Live, Mary Nell Wyatley and Randall Lee. Welcome back. Thank you, Scott. Thank it was you, fascinating, the first show. I can't wait to do more. And, uh, you know, Ron was definitely working with the Almighty. And, uh, Randall, I think you wanted to share a very special verse about that very fact. Yes, I want you to look at uh, John 14, 21. It said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. And so I think Ron is a, a perfect example of Jesus manifesting himself to him. And that's why we see 
all these, this little thought that Ron came uh, to his head of how the pyramids were built. Nobody knows that. It's debated everywhere, but God showed Ron how they were built. Indeed. And that was just, a, just one example of Jesus working in his life. You know, and I think we could all count things in our own lives. You know, as Michael Rood often says, the book of Acts did never stop get, uh, getting written. It, it, it continues on today is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And we all need to recognize that just because the Bible stopped being written at a certain point doesn't mean that God stopped working in people's lives. Miracles keep happening. God reveals things to people. You know, up when, when pastors and teachers are uh, up and teaching in front of people, that is very possibly God-inspired stuff, and we need to listen to those things, you know? And, and all the things that, like Michael putting together the chronolo uh, chronology of the Messiah's ministry being 70 weeks, that in itself is like what was revealed to Ron. Who ever thought of that? Everybody debunks about, you know what, when you line it up, there's no arguing it. And just like Ron's research, and that is what we are here to talk about today. When we last uh, discussed this in episode one of the series, uh, we talked about the Hyksos, Hyksos mm -hmm. people, mm -hmm. and uh, how they were with the Hebrews in the, I guess, the land of Goshen right. at that time. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then we went on to discuss how the 18th dynasty, probably the most infamous uh, dynasty in the Egyptian mm -hmm. uh, history, was incorrectly calculated. And this causes all kinds of confusion and creates this incorrect timeline of what happened in Egypt between the Egyptologist and those who follow Yehovah and say, ah, that's mm -hmm. not the way it happened. Mm -hmm. So what are we looking at here? What was incorrectly calculated and how do we correct this? Well, um, when Ron first told me his theory and said, this is what I need you to do, because he did his research, he figured out what he thought was correct, and uh, but he needed me to document it. He was not someone to, you know. So anyhow, as I began to study it and look at it, I saw a list of one king right after another down here that was just too long. It was just too long to fit in the Exodus. But Ron had... I believe that God gave him an insight into this. And he said, if you will look at the names, as you can see on the screen here, we've got the names of the pharaohs and their picture. And then there's also a chart here. And what I had to do was I had to understand what Ron was saying when he said, after the Hyksos were kicked out of Egypt, the Pharaoh had to appoint a, what we call a co-regent to go up to the north, you know, and uh, to Memphis and rule under the king, uh, the emperor or the main Pharaoh. And that when you became the co-regent, you got a name. Let's say you got the name Bob. And it, you're Bob one, you're the first Bob. So then all of a sudden your dad dies or whoever was the king and you come down here and you become Malcolm, Malcolm the first, but you're still Bob the first, mm. okay? And so um, taking this principle, Malcolm and Bob, he was Bob longer than he was Malcolm because he was co-regent and that included all the years of his reign. But he was only Malcolm for this long. So if you put them together, you have the 10 years of Bob and the five years of Malcolm doesn't equal 15 years, it equals 10. Ah, so I see what we're saying here. Then it's, it's not, uh, they're concurrent. They're not one after the other, yes. is that it? So yes. we're having 10 years instead of 15 years, for example. Right. But the one guy has two names. Mm -hmm. Okay, I can see it like be but, confusing. But Bob doesn't stop being Bob when he becomes Malcolm, okay? Yep. That's important thing to remember. So as I looked at the list, um, I saw a lot of Thutmose with a number after it, and the number is not part of their name. It is a variance of names, and then they give them that number, you know, because that's the order. And then there's Thutmosis and Amenhotep's. And the names are uh, gods. Amen, who is the main sun god, also known as Ra, Ra. or Ray. Okay. And Toth is where the Thut comes from, 
and he was the god in Memphis, and he was like the god of wisdom and honesty and writing and a lot of things like that. He was he was a good god. Okay, <laughs> you so know. he was second in command. Is that it? Well, so who's who's above who there? Uh, um, since the the pharaoh, the main pharaoh, I'll call him the emperor pharaoh, ruled in Thebes. That was the native family. When they kicked the Hyksos out and took over Memphis and the north, uh, the god that was popular there was Toth. Mm. So that is when I began to piece together what's known about it. It's interesting to note the Egyptians had no calendar. <clears throat> oh, okay. Well, I mean, they had somewhat of a this year and that year uh, based off of some astronomical signs, but they didn't really have a calendar, and all dates were known in the year of the Pharaoh's reign. Okay. Okay, so when you find uh, dated documents, they may say year seven, you know, of Amenhotep Third or something like that, and they all the only information we have is when do the dates stop and most of those the the best dates you find are the dates of the wine jars that are in the royal treasury um, like you're 37 of the wine of such and such king. It's complicated, and I apologize to people, but that's why I had to write a book. So we have to go to the wine cellar to discover yeah. the timeline yeah. of the Egyptians. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So now, Moses, we don't talk about where Moses fits into all of this. Yeah. Um, Moses was supposed to be an emperor, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He was, he was in line. Okay, so we're going to start with this whole story where, where we know the story starts, okay. where Israel is enslaved mm -hmm. uh, before Moses comes on the scene. Right. Uh, now, the Israelites were not always slaves in Egypt. We referred to this in the first episode where we mentioned the Hyksos and, mm -hmm. the, uh, and the Hebrews were cousins, I think is yeah. how you termed it. Yeah. Okay. And so basically what happened, you know, in the scriptures where it talks about, uh, you know, you were um, strangers in a strange land and you were 300 years here and 400 years here and, you know, all like that. Basically, they were only slaves for about 80 years. Okay. So they weren't slaves the whole time. So not for 400 years no. as modern Christianity would repeat. Would no, they were repeat. not. Yeah. But they were strangers in a strange land and it says you shall serve them. Well, of course they had to serve them. They had to pay taxes. They had to obey the rules and things like that. But um, no, they were only slaves for about 80 years. Okay. And so what happened after the Hyksos were kicked out, as I mentioned earlier, they enslaved the Israelites because they were afraid of them. And it was at that time, that was, that was during the reign of Amosa. And Amosa was the, the pharaoh, the emperor king, who issued the edict to drown the firstborn male ah, children. Now he is... Now, because mm -hmm. Moses eventually lived in the uh, in the house of the Pharaoh, mm -hmm. so is, is is Moses related to this person? No, he's not. Well, related. by adoption? I mean? No. Uh, well, yes, yes, okay. by adoption. It was not his daughter. I mean, okay. obviously, he's not going to let his daughter adopt somebody he's told to be killed. Right. So it was his son, mm -hmm. whose daughter rescued Moses. Okay, so this is the great-grandfather of Moses? Grandfather. Grandfather of Moses, mm -hmm. okay. Okay, when Amosa is ruling down here and he appoints his son, <clears throat> who he named Amenhotep the one, to be his co-regent, he's living up here, the emperor's down here, he says, drown. He issues the command to his you know, son, I want all of those firstborn Hebrew children drowned. <clears throat> And that's when his daughter finds this baby floating in the Nile. And she brings it probably, um, you know, probably at some point to her dad. And he says, just like a puppy, you can keep it, but you can't keep it in the house. <laughs> yeah. That's a horrible way to say it. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the daughter, you know, hired the mother, yes. Jacobed, to raise her son. Right. Well, 
Everybody pictures a little little Moses running around the palace, but the numbers when I did, you know, the charts and everything, it turned out that Moses was 12 before his adopted grandfather died. I mean, his adopted great-grandfather. I'm yeah. sorry, I get confused. That's okay, it was all his, the family. It was his <laughs> adopted great-grandfather died. And then uh, the mother, the adopted mother, Pharaoh's daughter and her father, he becomes emperor. They move to Thebes. Ah. Great-grandpa's dead. We can bring the child with mm. us. That makes sense. And that's what we were talking about. We, we alluded to this uh, mm -hmm. on the last episode where when we were talking about uh, how we were going to tell this story uh, mm -hmm. in this episode that that is like Yeshua, mm -hmm. where he was born, they had to wait, but they had to get out of Dodge because Herod was now killing all the ma male baby boys, just mm -hmm. like Pharaoh did. Yeah. They had to escape to Egypt, wait until Herod died, and then they could come back. It yeah. is the very same story. And Yehovah- I hadn't even thought of that. Makes it, uh, he, it's amazing how he, he, he uses the uh, lifetime of someone to serve as a prophecy for something wow. coming in the future. It's just, mm. it's just amazing when you know that, because we're not gonna find this in the Bible. No. Right, when you figure this out, I mean, this just sort of unlocks another key to say, wow, Yehovah right. has been at work at this the whole time. It's been in my Bible the whole time. I just couldn't read between the lines. Yeah, yeah. Amazing, okay, so, so where are we headed with this? So now we have some name confusion with uh, yes. uh, the leaders. Okay. With the Bob uh, and the Bob and Malcolm type. Yeah. Of thing. Okay. As you can see on the chart here, the um, I I had to work on this chart for a number of years, and what I did, what you don't see on this chart, is I matched up events and everything to make sure there wasn't something that would, you know, disallow this to be. And what I found out was no problem, no problem. We're not going to have the same officials in Bob and Malcolm's reign because Bob is ruling in Memphis, I mean Thebes, and Malcolm is ruling in Memphis. And there's different rulers up here than there is down here. Hmm. So this was a major project for me, but there's one thing that I need to mention, and that is that Ron based everything on the Bible. <clears throat> the Egyptologists and all, when they would make a discovery, Egyptology and archeology span are, are relatively new sciences to us. And what they would do when they found something, they would build a story around it. And this is the data and all of that. And then when something new is found, instead of adjusting it, they kept the same story and fit the new information into it somewhere until everything, nothing fit anymore. Mm. And as you read this book, you will find out more and more the problems. And what I did is I tried to address all the issues that have come up. For example, when we get to the part about the, the firstborn son of Pharaoh who drowns, yeah, I mean, who the Pharaoh who drowns, and the firstborn son is... I'll go ahead and say it now because we're going to talk about this in depth later, but is King, what's commonly known as King Tut. But the story that they learned about King Tut or they made up about King Tut when they found him is not correct and is a very long explanation to that, which mm. I tried to explain in depth. And so the problem is your worldview. If your worldview is the world, you know, world's view with man's adjustments and all of that, then you'll never fit anything out. Like we were talking about earlier, if you're doing a puzzle, you better find your end pieces and work that way. If you work with the Bible, you've got your end pieces. You know, we know the earth has been in existence this long and this happened so many years after creation and all that. We have something to work with. With the other, we're working between millions and billions of years and we can't do it. And so uh, I think it's important to realize that you can't figure out anything if you don't base it on the Bible. Right, it's like trying to mix oil and water. Yeah. It's like having, you know, like, like you were saying, instead of throwing out the old information to make room for the new, right. it's like you're celebrating Christmas and Easter. You discover that those aren't the real deals, and all of a sudden you just realize that, oh, Yeshua was born 
on Sukkot. And you're going, great, well, he was born at Sukkot and on Christmas. Yeah. Now we have a, no, we don't have a story. <laughs> now we have mass confusion. And is that what the Egyptians have done? Or what Egyptology has done is just keep shoving everything they into do. the soup until it doesn't taste good anymore? Yeah, they do. Yeah. And um, I, I, I would say there's a lot of great research, and I am, I, I say that in here, I'm eternally grateful for all the work that they did and, and everything, but there is a phenomenon by which once they've said it, it's set in stone, mm. you know, and you can't really change anything. But what I've learned by doing all of this research over 32 years is I found out that there is uh, very, very open and obvious proof of the Exodus. And it's amazing. Mm. It's amazing. He will make wise the simple. We think we know everything. We're not willing to change our story. Yahweh yeah. will go, yeah, you are going to change your story because you're wrong. And only if we are being pliable and willing to learn will we really get the true story is what I'm hearing here. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're going to get into uh, uh, Moses' Moses's mother, the woman who mm. found him in the river, just for a second. We only have a couple of minutes. I wonder if we could just okay. tease it a little bit. She is mistaken. I didn't know this. You told me this earlier. She was mistaken in history for being a king. How does the daughter of the yeah. Moses be, uh, how is she mistaken for a king? Well, okay. Um, we're jumping way ahead. Mm -hmm. And we haven't gotten to the identification of the, the daughter. But her name was Hatshepsut. When that was the name that she is spoken of after they move, after her father becomes emperor. Before that, when they lived in Memphis, the, all the names that she's referred to are Nefereh. And again, they're, they're names which mention gods. And so everybody in the scholars and all of that say Nefereh is Hatshepsut's daughter. And there's a lot of reasons for that, hmm. uh, why they say that. But I believe without a doubt, Hatshepsut and Nefereh are the same person. And there's a massive, beautiful, as you can see here, uh, temple built at, called Deir el-Bari, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, which is a temple dedicated to Hatshepsut. And in it is the story of her divine birth. And in her divine birth, she's portrayed as, um, here's her mother going down to have, you know, to have a baby and all of this. And then here's the baby and it's being presented, but it's a boy. Mm. It's a boy. And um, then there's all these statues throughout the temple, that magnificently beautiful statues everywhere. And they're said to be Hatshepsut. But they're not, they're, they're not a woman. And it's complicated, but I've tried to address, address that. The belief is that Ron believed, and it makes perfect sense, is that all of this was a setup for an unmarried daughter of the Pharaoh to be able to legally bring her son to the throne her adopted son, ah. because there was a particular way of coming to the throne. And it was either by being the usually the firstborn son of the Pharaoh, but it had to come through the mother. That was real important. And Hatshepsut was not married when she was young. And I, there's questions about later, but it was the only way that she could, um, because everything is based so specifically on uh, legalism to the gods, then this was her way of bringing him hmm. into the royal class. It's almost the same controversy as, again, Yeshua. Mm -hmm. Mary or Miriam is pregnant. How in the world did she get pregnant? Her and Joseph are not even married together. Wow. Where did this baby come from? You know, Yehovah can use stories of pharaohs to illustrate his own son. And again, here we have yeah. uh, extra biblical proof of something very similar to that story going on, and it just further strengthens our faith. It doesn't change anything. It further strengthens it, you know? Yeah. That's the beautiful thing. All right, well, we're going to talk more about this in a second, but I'm thoroughly enthralled in this. I hope you are, mm -hmm. too. We want to thank uh, Mary Nell 
Wyatt Lee and Randall Lee for joining us here on the stage. This is fascinating information, and we have you to thank for it. I want to thank you for making this possible, because without your donations to A Rude Awakening International, this doesn't happen. You don't get to hear this stuff. You may never hear this stuff if it were not for this show, and especially for Michael Rood, who started this whole thing. So if you would like to help Michael shoulder the load to take this, this show to the other people who have never heard this type of stuff, if you are enjoying this, if you want to pass it on, donate to this ministry. We'll pass it on for you. You do that work, we'll do this work. It'll be a partnership. Thank you for donating to this ministry, and we will give you a couple of minutes to think about that, pray about it, and we'll join you back in a couple of minutes. And welcome back to Shabbat Night Live. Before the break, we were talking about where Moses comes from, and we often hear the story that Pharaoh's daughter found him in the river, and uh, she left him with Moses' mother until he was weaned, but that's not really the whole story, is it, Mary No, Randall Lee, uh, until he was 12. And that explains a lot, because you were explaining to me that that is how he kept his Hebrew identity, and that's why he stood up for his people. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Well, in order to understand a lot of this, um, I've tried to document uh, all of the information that we have, but Ron believed that Moses' Egyptian name um, was Sinemut. Sinemut, okay. Sinemut. And Sinemut means literally mother's brother. And the Bible talks about how um, Moses refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter. And yet at the same time, he was in line for the throne. We know that. And he, when it comes to the part where he killed an Egyptian who was mistreating a Hebrew, why would he be worried about that as the son of the Pharaoh, you know, we see uh, royalty and rich people and all. They think they can do anything they want. Why would he be afraid of the Pharaoh? And I think that the Pharaoh had been weaning him and, you know, trying to get him to be um, fit for the throne. To prepare him, sort of a yes. prep school type of thing. Yes. yes. Okay. And so at the same time, Perhaps the Pharaoh was worried about his, where did his loyalties lie? Okay. If all he, right. the Pharaoh's gonna die one day and he, all he has, the only, you know, prospect he has for the throne is Moses, Sinamut, and he's got to be sure. And so when Moses kills an Egyptian protecting an Israelite, I think that gave it great impetus, and he knew he had to flee. And That know. makes sense. So put him in an area where his people are being mistreated, mm -hmm. test him, test him, test him till he yeah. breaks to see what he does. Yeah, I don't right. know whether okay. that was a test or, you know, it just, he knew it would get back. Mm. He knew it would, especially the second time, the next day when the other Hebrews said, you know, who were fighting, and he, they said to Moses when he tried to break it up, they said, who made you a judge, you know, over us? Mm. And uh, he realized that he wasn't safe. But the important thing to understand is that Hatshepsut was not married, and she needed an heir, and the Pharaoh was getting old. And this huge temple, dear Elbari, has the whole story of Hatshepsut's life. And in it, you know, it has the miraculous tale of her birth, that she's born to the God, you know, Amen. And the whole point of this temple was to commemorate her. This was not something that was open to the public. This was the Egyptians, if you ever read about Egyptian history and their beliefs and all, their belief in the afterlife was very, very strict. And um, the way they control the people is by the terrible world of the underworld. Mm. And, you know, if you didn't obey um, the Pharaoh and all as the earthly uh, embodiment of there, he, he could cause you to never, ever get to nirvana or whatever you want to call paradise and you would be tormented forever. Um, but Hatshepsut, this is a very interesting story to me and I think it will be to your viewers. 
One time, when Ron went to Cairo, he had known this other, um, this other director of antiquities who was the high up. He was over all the antiquities. His name was Nasif Mohammed Hassan. And he had died uh, when Ron went back in 1989. He found out this man had died. He didn't know what to do because he needed some. He needed to know someone. In 1992 or three, I forget. It tells in here in the story. Um, Ron went to Cairo and went to the office to meet the new man. And as Ron goes into his office, this new man, and this is the office that, um, what's his name? Zahi Hawass. Zahi Hawass has right now. Um, before Zahi was this man, his name was Dr. Ali Hassan. And he goes into his office and Dr. Hassan stands up to meet him and he says, Mr. Wyatt, sticks his hand out. Come in, I'd like to meet you. He says, you're an American, right? And Ron says, yes, I am. And he said, I need help. And Ron- He needs help. He needs okay. help. Yeah, before Ron even explained why he was there. He said he needed help, and he told Ron that his son was in the United States and he was having some problems and he needed help. And Ron got on the phone. I'm not gonna go into the problem because it was a personal problem, but the young man was in school and he needed somewhere to go. He was in a military school. And um, Ron called me, and to make a long story short, I was able to get his son a bus ticket and he came up to Nashville and I brought him home. And he was a 19 year old, wonderful boy. I mean, we played chess and we'd go to the pool hall and shoot pool, you know. <laughs> but he was obviously very close to his mother because he got along very well with me, very well, nice, well, well mannered and all. And so anyhow, um, because of that, Dr. Hassan on the next trip Ron went back, he says, what can I do for you? And he looked right at me and he said, what can I do for you? You helped me so much. And I, there were some places I wanted to go. Well, one of them was in Hatshepsut's uh, temple, this mortuary temple at Deir el-Bari. There was a place upstairs called the Sun Altar and it had been closed. I'd been there several times before, but I really wanted to go to the Sun Altar. And he's he came right with us because you had to get on a plane in Cairo and fly down to Luxor and then take a boat across the Nile and then go up into the, you know, the Valley of the Kings to get to this temple. And he, he was wonderful. He just brought us, he went with us everywhere we went and he said, Here's, here it is. It was still closed and he said, you can see it. And there were little rooms off to the side. And I said, can I wander in there? He says, well, they're off the beaten path, but you're welcome to go, you know. And I went in there and it was pitch black. And I take, this is the days of film camera. I start clicking like this, just, you know, in the dark. And I had a flash and I get home from that trip and I have them um, developed. And in this room, I found this large, this very long uh, panorama of a procession of gods all walking to Amen, or Amenhotep. The name is Amenhotep, or Amenophis is how they pronounced it back then. Walking away with these gods, and he, here in the middle, in orange, is little Hatshepsut, and then a couple of gods behind her is this little naked boy that looks like probably a 12-year-old Moses. And this is not something that was put on the wall for public consumption. This was put on the wall to commemorate the life mm. of Hatshepsut for the gods to see throughout eternity. And nobody has ever, that picture is not out there anywhere. I couldn't find it anywhere, any of the archeological journals or anything. Mm. And it's- That room was still closed when I was there. 
mm, uh, a year last, ago. Yeah, a year ago. Yeah. It's never been excavated, maybe. You know, mm -hmm. It was just completely closed down. Well, no one did a special favor for the man in charge, I suppose. Yeah, so. I guess. <laughs> but That's amazing. That, thought, that was amazing. That is something I will always remember. That's the first time anybody's seen these pictures. That is really is in neat. here. Wow. Yeah. That is just an amazing story. All right, well, let's go on to, uh, now there's statues, there, there's a mistaken yes. identity in a statue of Moses' mother, is that right? Oh, okay, once Ron figured out um, that Moses was a person named Sinamut, a very, another very interesting discovery was made back along, oh gosh, in the 20s or 30s, I don't remember exactly, but they found a tomb at the foot of way down the cliff of the first uh, tomb that was made for Sinamut. And down there they found this, um, it's not a chiseled out, painted up, beautiful tomb. It's just a rock opening chiseled out and things shoved in. It's a very beautiful, um, elaborate uh, materials are in there that were, were uh, placed for the, the deceased. And it turns out that this was the, tomb of Hatnefer and Ramosa, who were the real parents of Sinamut. Now let's back up on the names here. So okay. Sinamut, mm -hmm. Moses. Right. So the parents would be Jacobed yes. and her husband? Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so there was their tomb. Now, I, when I found out about that, I nearly broke my neck trying to get to anywhere to find information. I even contacted an archaeologist uh, that works at the Oriental Institute that was living in, um, living in Egypt, doing a lot of work over there. And he had done, his name was Peter Dorman, and he um, um, had, had written a paper on this. And I said, why can't I find more information? And I finally found the original um, publication when it was found. So I've got the original pictures in here of the tomb when it was found. Well, let's take a look on the screen here. Yes, as you can see, um, as we look at it, this is looking inside the tomb right here oh, wow. uh, before they ever took it out. So this is whose tomb now? This is this uh, is the tomb of Hatnefer. And, and both of them. Oh, and Ramosa. When they were yes. found. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And see, here's a diagram of the tomb where you can see where everything was. Oh, they put them together. Okay, they I were. Get it. There was a lot of, there was more in here also. There's some other remains. But um, you can see there's articles that are, you know, put in there to serve them in their afterlife. Mm. So bowls and, and containers yes. of, okay. And looky here, um, oh, and more mirrors, mirror. wow. these would Beautiful. be mirrors, bowls, um, and gorgeous woven, uh, like, what would you call that? It's a uh, scarf or yeah, something, something like that. Yeah, something like that. But most interesting to me is this right here is a mask that was found on the mummy of Hatnefer. And if you will look at her, she doesn't exactly look like the traditional Egyptian. And we'll get into this more when we talk more about Sinamut, but I believe that this reflects the Hebrew appearance of his mother. Mm. And here we have um, their, their sarcophaguses. Wow, sarcophagus. so this is Moses's mom and dad. Mom and dad. Wow. And the interesting, another interesting thing about it is that the mother was a chubby, well-fed, short woman, and she was mummified, and she even had little wiglets in her hair. So she was obviously uh, a woman of, you might say, well-to-do. So the Egyptians took great care of her body when she died. So yes, she they did. she was obviously revered. Yes. Okay. But the mummy of Ramosa was nothing but mummy bandages wrapped around bones, dirt, and soil. Hmm. The implication is that she died after Moses came to the palace, but Ramosa died before that and was buried in the earth in 
in the land of Goshen somewhere. In Hebrew tradition, yes. that's why he's just bandages and bones. Yeah, he, wa he wasn't bandaged until they went and dug up his remains and brought him to be with his wife. Hmm. And there's some other remains in there. There's, uh, I think, two women um, who were the same way. They obviously had died earlier and they were just skin and bones wrapped in. Um, but they, the way that they knew who these people were was in the first tomb, no, the second tomb of Moses that was found um, as Sinamut, excuse me, as Sinamut. It had a picture in there of Sinamut and sitting in front of him was his parents, Hatnifer and Ramosa. And the excavators of the tomb remembered that when they found that tomb. They said, oh, we know who this is. This is Sinamut's parents. And they wouldn't have known it if they had not found him first, found wow. his tomb first. And think about, this is, shows you how things could go wrong. If they had found that tomb and didn't, hadn't found the earlier tomb of, um, of Sinamut saying, these are my parents, no telling who they might have said these people were. Okay, well, there again, Yehovah is looking after even the these type of things. Yes. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think he had preserved these for all this time. And um, it's my belief, I'm not on here to sell a book because it doesn't matter to me one way or another if somebody buys it as far as the bunny goes. But I believe, I, I've had several people who have read this tell me that it has affected them greatly. Um, well, it just strengthened their faith. Yeah. They, it gave them something to, to hang on to, to know, wow, so this really could have happened. Right, and Moses, so then that just adds credence to the whole Bible. Yeah. Because if Senebut's parents were found, and there was, the, the thing that's striking me here is that they had built a tomb for Senebut mm -hmm. completely you know, uh, thinking that he was going to be Pharaoh mm -hmm. and we better prepare now as they did for all Egyptian Pharaohs. Yeah. So he had his own tomb already. Of course, that's not the way it ended up. Mm -hmm. But his parents are in there. So if he has parents and, and a history, that means that the Israelites did exist. They did escape yeah. from Egypt. He did write the first five books of Moses. And from there, now the Bible's true. Yeah. Because that is the core of the whole Tanakh, the whole thing is based on finding Moses' parents. I think is a huge clue. I think so too. Uh, I became obsessed with it for a while. I'll bet. Oh, I, get, I could still get obsessed again if I didn't let myself. <laughs> uh, but I think this might be a good time to introduce these statues. Okay, can we hold on to that? We sure can. I would like to say that for the next episode. Absolutely. But first of all, pe where people mm -hmm. can actually see these uh, these sarcophaguses. Oh yes. Today. Where are oh, they? Oh yes. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention that. Uh, if the COVID thing lets up and people can get out and about, go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, because there is so much stuff. Not only is there all the stuff we're talking about of Hatnifer and Ramosa, there's a lot of statues said to be Hatshepsut that I believe, and Ron absolutely believed, are reflecting the face of Moses. We're gonna get into that next episode. Okay. You've shown me pictures in your, yes. in your book already, and yeah. you can definitely see the difference. All right, we're gonna get into that. Very okay. exciting stuff. <laughs> Mary Nell Wiley, Randall Lee, thank you for joining us. We're gonna come back next week where the story is not done. Thank you for joining us on Shabbat Night Live. This is exciting stuff. I hope you're excited as I am. This is really fun, and we hope you join us again next week on Shabbat Night Live. Until then, Shavua Tov and Shabbat Shalom. Mm -hmm.